We're going to be in the book of Zechariah tonight, chapter 8. If you take your Bibles and turn there, the Bible says, And again the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion, Zion being a, a word used to describe Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, that region there. So it's a way of saying the Lord is jealous or loves Israel. I was jealous for Zion with a great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. It's, it's just a way of putting an exclamation mark on God's love for this people. And thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And thus saith the Lord of hosts, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for very age. In other words, he's saying there's going to come a day again when older people can walk in the city of Jerusalem safely. Their age will not be cut short by difficulty, but they'll be able to live there peacefully. And then he goes on, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, um, verse 5, I'm sorry, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. And thus saith the Lord of hosts, If it be marvelous, wonderful, amazing in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. And thus saith the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong. Ye that hear in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, which were in the day that the foundation of the house the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. We've, we've studied this. There was a refoundation day when the people, the remnant came back from Babylon, where they dedicated the rebuilding of the temple. And so he's saying, you heard on that, uh, it was called a refoundation day, on this dedication day of the temple being built, that this would be a, this would be a challenging work, but we could do it. So he's saying, we, we started to work. You heard the challenges from preachers then. So let's make sure we finish this work and we continue it. That's the thought there in that particular verse. And uh, verse number, where was I? Thank you. For, the, for before these days there was no hire for man. And it's talking about so before they, while they're in captivity, nor any hire for beast, neither was there any peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction. For I set all men, every one, against his neighbor. But now I will not be into the residue of this people as in the former days. A new chapter he's saying, saith the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, and the vine shall give her fruit, and the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And it shall come to pass that as you were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah, O house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a, be a blessing. Fear not. A repetitive theme, but let your hands be strong. Fear not, do the work, is what he's saying. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, as I thought to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, saith the Lord of hosts, and I repented not. So again have I thought in these days to do well to Jerusalem in the house of Judah. Once again, fear you not. These are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. <coughs> Excuse me, and let none of your let, let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor, and love no false oath. For these are the things that I hate, saith the Lord. 
Now, this was the theme of chapter 7, this idea of social justice, of treating people fairly, of not letting iniquity between people occur. Verse 18, And the word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus said the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feast. Therefore, love the truth and peace. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one of the cities shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord, and to seek the Lord of hosts, I will go also. He said there's going to come a day when people are going to want to go to Jerusalem. Right now, no one wants to be there, but that, that's going to change. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, and to pray before the Lord. And thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass, that ten men shall take hold out of the language of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. A day is coming when people from all over the globe will come to Jerusalem uh, to honor and pray to God because, because He is there. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Word of God tonight. We ask that, Lord, tonight it might be a light and a lamp to our feet, that we might find application for the truth, Lord, that is ancient, but, Lord, still applicable. And so, Lord, what, what we can learn tonight, I pray that we would, and I ask us in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you so much for standing for that length of time. Just a very quick review for those who may not have been here for our study. Zechariah prophesied to what is called the post-exile Jewish community. Because of the sins of idolatry and mistreatment to one another, uh, the marginalization of God in their religious and cultural life, God sent the Babylonians, as He did the Assyrians before to Israel, He sent the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem and the nation. The prophet Daniel prophesied there'd be 70 years of captivity. There's a reason for that number that we might talk about later. But there'd be 70 years of captivity. It'd be a time of discipline, a time of chastisement. God's love would not be forfeit during this time. It would just be His means to discipline them so they might learn no longer to be involved in idolatry or to marginalize the Lord. And that time has come to an end and under the leadership of Joshua and Zerubbabel, the descendants of David and Aaron, about 50,000 people have made the original trek home. It's not actually yet quite even 70 years, it's about 69, but they've made their way back to the desolation and the destruction that was left by the Babylonians that is now their home. Zechariah's ministry role was to encourage those who had returned to do this work of rebuilding with this simple theme, be strong. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. There's going to be opposition without. There's going to be opposition within. It's going to be literally a Herculean monumental task. You won't be able to rebuild the splendor of the temple as before, but we can build something that is functional. Um, the, the former glory won't be repeated, but you can, you can do something that honors me, and it's going to be tough sledding. So be strong is this message. Don't be afraid over and over. That's the message of both Zechariah and his contemporary Haggai. Um, they were to give themselves to this work of restoring the temple first, then the city, and then under Nehemiah, the walls, and of course then just the nation. But here was the problem. These people came back and, and, and they knew there was a challenges, but boy, this was hard. And the work indeed was hard. 
But a page and chapter had turned in Israel's history, and uh, God's immediate discipline was now uh, almost over. I guess we could say it was technically over. The discipline part of the chapter was gone. A future day of blessing was dawning, and the restoration of, of, the, of the city, and then ultimately the nation was on the horizon. But it was on the other side of not just God's intent and blessing, but this new day was on the other side of hard work, on the other side of being strong, on the other side of not quitting, on the other side of not being afraid. So what happened was when these early first Jews returned home, and we can imagine this, um, they were overwhelmed. Okay, you got, there's no heavy machinery. There's no bulldozers. There's no excavators. You know, there, there's, there's no way. And there are these massive stones of the temple. Just, if we just took that alone, just the temple alone was just rubble. And in this refoundation ceremony we talked about a few minutes ago, they, they picked up one of the stones from this rubble. They, they placed it in the center. And there was this kind of dedication service. Everyone was excited. And then everyone looked around and they went, oh my. And it wasn't just a temple, but it was their homes. Which they were, you know, they wanted to go home and rebuild their homes. And God says, temple first. So there's this temptation to rebuild the home, which was a lot. And then just the infrastructure and then the economy. And because we're not talking about the walls yet or the larger nation. And, and, and so 50,000 really sort of count as very few in this because 50,000 would include women and children and older people and, and babies. So the number of working individuals here would have been fairly small. And they were, they were wowed and overwhelmed by the task. It would be fair to say, in a word, they were facing constant discouragement. I mean, you know, they weren't to the point yet where they could see the end yet. And, and actually at this point they're just writing, they were about halfway. They were a little more than halfway in chapter 8. But they just constantly faced discouragement. Like, it's just never going to get done. And let's just go home. And let's get back to the task. And so Zechariah and Haggai are just saying, fear not. Stick with it. You know, keep your hands strong to the task. And so they were discouraged off and on. The people didn't feel like that their understanding of the post-exile experience was happening. Okay, so they understood by the writing of Daniel that they'd be in captivity 70 years. They had figured that out pretty much. What they thought would happen next is, is that coming home would coincide with the rise of the Messiah. So they thought, we're going to come back home and the Messiah is going to present himself somehow in this. And he's going to inspire and he's going to do some probably miraculous things. And he's going to subdue, you know, Rome and, 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 and everything else. And somehow this is going to be easier than what they're experiencing. But it obviously wasn't time for the Messiah yet. And um, that wasn't, the rebuilding wasn't going to be um, in a way that they would understand or appreciate, immediately miraculous. The walls were going to be, or the, the, the temple could be rebuilt a brick at a time by hard labor and sweat and great sacrifice. So the people were disillusioned a little bit. They, they, their expectations of this is supposed to be better than this. And, and by the way, there's still some crime in the streets and, and things aren't right and people still aren't treating each other the way they, they should. And, and they were expected, you know, kind of a triumph, victorious march to the millennial kingdom. But that wasn't happening yet. 
This is not the way they thought the exile, the return from the exile was supposed to go. And, and, and it wasn't. Instead, they discovered that they were still at the tail end of a really bad situation. That the consequences, and this is important that we get tonight, because the discipline was over, didn't mean the trailing consequences were yet completely gone. Does that make sense? In other words, they, were, they, they had been chastised for 70 years by being made to stay in Babylon. But just because that was over didn't mean now the city suddenly rebuilt itself. It didn't mean the economy was suddenly right. It didn't mean that every man now had been educated spiritually the way they should be. You follow me? God's punishment was over in exile, but now coming home, there were ripple effects. There were consequences that were ongoing that in their brains, they didn't want to be there. But they need to understand that the journey from exile to redemption traveled down a very hard road. And this is what these prophets are saying. Be strong. This is the way we're going to do this. Uh, kind of the same way we, like, we pay for buildings around here, you know. Don't be afraid. Be strong. We can do it. And we do. And in its own way, it's very miraculous. So in chapter 7, we were introduced to a set of, well, maybe not quite disillusioned or skeptics, but a different set of Jews. See, when the Babylonians took the Jews into captivity, they didn't take all of them. Um, many were taken to um, Shinar, the region of Babylon, but others were just dispersed. Um, remember, Israel's gone to the north, and now it's the region of Samaria. And so many were just dispersed in Samaria. They, they, they went really in countries all around the world. It's like there are Jews all over the world today. So from Samaria, most likely Bethel, a contingency of men had heard from afar that Jews had returned from Babylon and were rebuilding the temple. Well, they, they did their, you know, chronology. They looked at their sundials, whatever, and they, they realized, wait, 70 years is about done. And we hear there are people rebuilding the temple. Does this mean the captivity is over? And so they had that question, but coupled with that was, they had another question, this is what we rehearsed last week. They wanted to know if they could stop fasting. Evidently, at some point after the captivity occurred, there was sort of like a national decree that people should fast, and they did so. In chapter 8, it indicates maybe as many times as four times a year. But when they first came, they indicated they were fasting two months out of the year. They came to, they came to Zerubbabel, they came to Joshua, they, they came to Zechariah, and they had this question. I don't know how many people came from Samaria, but a contingency came down, and uh, they, they go to the temple that's being rebuilt, and they said, hey, is the captivity over? Can we come home? Is it safe? And can we stop fasting? Okay. Now, it's not that they just, you know, it was, I don't know how hard it was on the fast. But they had been fasting, and they wanted to know if God had heard their prayers in the fasting, and if they could stop, and if they could come home. Well, at this point, for the most part, Zechariah has seen all visions. Remember, dreams and visions. Now God speaks by what we call oracle. And an oracle in the Old Testament simply means a word from God. It's what we call a sermon today. Now, I don't hear in the same way that Zechariah heard um, we all know that, but, um, you know, there was an oracle come from God, and, and so all through this chapter, God speaks. So God looks at these contingency men, He hears their question, and now God speaks through Zechariah to them in chapter 8, well, chapter 7, and also in chapter 8. So chapter 7 is what He says. Yeah, you've been fasting, but um, your fasting is a little amiss. 
And what you've done is you fasted wrongly, basically. And he references the book of Isaiah here, chapter 58. And he says, you fasted for yourself. He says this way, what you've really been doing is fasting for the removal of the negative consequences, which isn't necessarily wrong, but it's incomplete. What they weren't fasting to ever do was to be right with God. They were just asking for bad things to go away. They weren't asking for good things to come in. Does that make sense? In other words, it's like we do. Lots of Christians, their life is fairly void of prayer until it has to be filled with prayer. And by the way, that's a great thing to do. It's not against that. But we have to be cognizant, like, am I only praying because my life's negative and whatever? Again, not a bad reason to pray, but it ought to be. And maybe this is a good time for me to get right with God, too. And that's what he's saying to these people. This is a really good time. You, you forfeit the opportunity to, to see the bigger picture. You just want bad things to go away, but you're not necessarily asking for intimacy with me. You're not necessarily asking for things to be right between you and I. As a matter of fact, I, I know that because I'm watching the way you conduct yourselves, and, and you guys are still cheating and extorting and stealing, and you're, and you're not helping the vulnerable of society. So you, you've never really understood the purpose of fasting, and that was to be right with God and people. Because in Isaiah 58, it says, once you, once you fasted, not only we have the answer to your prayer, but it'll be evidenced by the fact that you help people. And I'm not seeing any of that in your lives. So you want to ask, can you quit? Well, okay. Did you ever start with, the right, with, with all the right questions? Your fast have been focused on yourself. You've not been trying to be reconciled to me. You sub substitute a religious activity. Um, for true piety, which is being right with God and others, You're, you've not been just in your dealings. You've not shown empathy and mercy to the vulnerable of society, widows, orphans, the poor, and the stranger or alien, the immigrant. There are four groups of people here who are eminently vulnerable, and I can't see that you've done anything to help them, except maybe take advantage of them. So can you stop fasting? I don't know. Can you? You're not getting it. Yes, the judgment's over, but your lives aren't right yet. And so in the text, we see here an important revelation and insight to the heart of God. And that is that the, one of the expressions of love and devotion, um, of true piety, or being right with God, is the way we treat each other. You wanna, if you want to ask me, if you, if you want to grow and be right with God, then I'm going to say, Love your brother. Be a help to him. Find people who, who need something and do something about it. In other words, this is, this is so elemental. What does it mean to serve God? We talk about Micah 6, 8. We'll, you know, we'll go away to the New Testament. What's it mean to, to be right with God? Love God, love people. Two greatest commandments. He says, and, and I'll know you're right with me in part by the tangible expression of how you treat other people. And when I see you worried about widows, and when I see you showing mercy on orphans, and when I see you care about the stranger and the aliens, and when I see, and I understand today our world of poor is different, but when I see you interject yourself in such a way that you're distributing wealth to help the poor, well, then I'll know that you understand the covenant relationship between you and I, and that'll give us, that give me the opportunity to, to bless you. God, this is no surprise, God cares about people. Not just the absence of difficulty in your life.
So chapter 8 is a continuation of this dialogue. God's word, oracle, comes again to Zechariah very quickly in the same context. And so I'm just very fast. Verse 2 says, my passion, my zeal for you is great. That's never changed. You're asking me, is the, is, is the, is the hard times over? Well, the, the, the judgment's over, but my attitude toward you has never changed. I've always loved you. I've always loved you. I've been jealous for you. Verse 3, my intent is to be present in Jerusalem. I want to be here. Just like God wanted to be in the seven churches in the book of Revelation. But they excluded him. He was like on the outside knocking. He says, my intent is to be, to be there. It's your heart that's not there, verse 3. I, I want to be there. I want this to be a city of truth again. Verse 4, my intent is to make this city safe. Right now, as a did of thieves in the vacuum of the Jewish people, all kinds of people moved in. It, it, was, it was a harsh environment, as evidenced by Nehemiah when he got there. And God said, listen, if you'll just be brave and don't fear and do the work and make things right, there's going to come a day when boys and girls can play in the streets and old people can walk down with their canes and, they, and they'll be safe. A day of safety is coming. You know how I feel. That's how I feel. I'm jealous for you. I love you. I'm going to make this place safe. I'm going to prosper you. Verse 5. Again, boys and girls can play in the street. Back to four, older people can be there. Verse six, he says, I want you to realize that you may, the idea of marvelousness here is unbelievable. They're thinking, no way. No place is this city going to be safe. And God says, it, 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 it's, it, it's a wonder to you, and it's a little bit of a wonder to me, but I can make it happen. But you're going to have to do your part. And so, he says, you're going to have to work to make it happen. Verse 7, he says, Thus saith the Lord, my intent to you contingency from Samaria and to all you listening, my intent is to save you. My intent is to bless you. My intent is to help you. Verse 8, to renew the covenant relationship that I never broke, but you did. And so he says, this, this is my heart. So God says, these people, can we stop fasting? Man, I, I, I love you people. I'm here for you. I want to rebuild the city. I want this to be a great city. I want to be safe. So he gives all these encouragements. He's, he's there. He's involved. They're few. It's overwhelming. But I'm here. I'm going to help. My intent is to save. So all that backdrop is given. So now we come to verse 9. And so verse 9, he says this. So I've said all that. So, be strong. Be strong. I'm not going to wave my hand and put those bricks on top of each other for you. And you're going to have to do hard work of character ref reformation. And you have to treat people right. And you're going to look inside about your fasting and for the motives. He says, but this is my intent. I, I'm in a covenant relationship with you and I intend to keep it. But what you need to do right now is even in the midst of the really hard work, the blood, sweat, and tears, the discouragement, the disillusionment, all your expectations not being met is be brave and finish it. Trust me. That's what he says. I've given you all these affirmations so that you will finish. Be brave. Do your part. He said, if you've heard me if you're hearing me right now, he says, then, then do what I ask. And what I'm asking, you're asking me to solve all your problems. Okay, look up here. I'm not going to solve all your problems. I'm going to tell you that I'm with you. And I'm going to tell you 
to be strong and don't be afraid and do what I've asked you to do. That's not exactly what I wanted to hear, but I'm going to tell you something that we all need to hear. Verse 10, basically, I am presenting you with a new opportunity, a new chapter, a new book. I'm not going to deal with you the way I did for the past 70 years. My intent now is to bless and prosper you. Discipline is over, but you know when you throw a rock in the water, you can say, well, it fell in the water, it's over. Well, tell that to the little ripples that go forth from the rock. Okay? We may have fixed the rock, but the waves are still coming. And that's what they're experiencing, the waves. He said, this one's over. It's still tough. But in verse 12, that's just so important. It's hard right now, but you're planting seeds right now in this difficulty that will bear fruit in time. I just can stop right there and if you can grab a hold of that, we're done tonight. Because that's, that's the big thought. It's what God's saying here. It's not easy yet. As a matter of fact, you know, he didn't even tell them when this would all eventually come to pass. But he's saying, for your part, don't be afraid and be strong and do what's right. Because right now you're planting seeds that one day I can bring to fruition to bless and prosper you. That's such a big deal. That's such an important point to get. It's still hard, but you're planting seeds of opportunity. You plant and all water. That's kind of New Testament, isn't it? It's what he says in verse 12 or 13. I'm going off memory here. But I'll bring the dew from heaven. I'll make your crops grow. You've got to plant the seeds. You got to do the work. You got to be strong. You got to be not be afraid. You got to put the rocks on top of each other. You got to rebuild the home. You got to you got to get your heart right with me. In time, verse thirteen, I will turn the curse into a blessing. But it's not going to happen overnight. The punishment's over. The struggle is not. Can I tell you that's life? In verse 16, he goes back and reinforces from chapter 7 what their part is. Of course, it's continuing to work, but it's also love each other, treat each other fairly, be just, help these the four groups he gives, these, these vulnerable populations. You, if you want to be right with me, if you want to be on the side of blessing, if you really want to be planting the seeds of opportunity, it's just not about putting bricks on top of brick. It's about loving each other. It's about treating each other fairly and right. It's about, his words, executing judgment. Stop being manipulative. Tell the truth. These are the failures that caused you to go into exile in the first place. So in verse 19, he basically says this, your fasting can be over. It's now a time of joy and gladness. I know you don't see it that way right now, but I'm telling you, what I'm going to do this city is going to be marvelous in your eyes and time. In verses 20 through 23, I've got to hurry. God just speaks of the future glory of the city. Okay. In terms of eschatology, he's probably speaking to the, of the millennial kingdom that's going to come one day when truly children can walk in the streets and play in safety and old people can walk in the streets and not be harmed, when there's abundant prosperity and blessings, when the Messiah would be there. That's still yet future. But here's the thing. In their intertestinal period between this post-exile community when Jesus came, the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt. And good times did come again. Now, the ultimate fulfillment is still to happen, but here's the deal. 
God's principles are immutable, and we always still reap what we sow. And while we might not see the full blessing of what life will be one day, we can still make our lives better by the way we live today. Okay? So, eschatology, is this about the millennial kingdom or not? Probably so. But the truth is, he's still saying to these people, your life can be better if you'll take advantage of the seeds of opportunity I'm giving you. And of course, that's the application. This is so elementary. And I can say this to everyone in this room tonight. So often, the only thing standing between you and what you want, better said, nothing standing between you and what God wants for you, is you. Yeah, but, no. Put the yabbits back in the cage. Um, let's stop making excuses. The thing that's standing between you and what God wants for you is probably looking you in the mirror. God always, God loves us with a jealous love. He intends to be with us. He intends to bless us. We, we, we're in the dispensation age of grace. He obviously wants to bless us. He's for us. Who can be against us? Well, the answer to that is so often us. What stands in the way of the blessing, the goodness, and the peace we want is the forfeiture of doing the hard work on our part. All too often, we, we, we are in a position of wanting circumstances to be better, someone to be better, something else to be different, to experience a greater depth of relationship with God or whatever else. And those aren't bad things to want, but those things sometimes come with a price tag. Grace is free, but a relationship even with other people's work in rebuilding things is work. And God's basically saying to these people, I'm not stopping you. I'm no longer, we're no, you're no longer in, in this period of opposition for me in the 70 years. The only thing that's stopping you now is you. We want to say, well, here's, here's all the bad things. So let's have a hard line, a real hard line between the time that was bad and the time that is good. Okay. But it's, it's, it's more like this. Here's the bad times, okay? And now we have a little bit of space here. <laughs> where things are in the process of getting better. And then over here, then all of a sudden you have the fruit and the vine, and things are truly better. We just want to go from there to here. But God's saying, be strong. Don't be afraid. Be good to people. He's saying, do the hard work of trudging through the ripple of the rock and the water, of the consequences that kind of linger, of having to work through these issues, and then these times will come. And so often I watch people forfeit what could be beautiful, because getting there is hard. And I wish I could tell you a different story than that. You know, if I decided to be a much better person today, like right now, I'm going to do these 10 things better. Well, I could probably get there, but probably can't get there tomorrow. Or maybe even next month, and maybe not even next year. But come see me in 5 and 10, and I might be there. And that might be true for your homes. That might be true for, you know, if we saw things in our church that needed fixed. It's because we see problems here that we can, we can necessarily fix them. We can identify them. We can work on them. We can truly repent of them. We can ask God to take away the bad, but then we have to work to fill in the good. We, can't just, we just can't sweep the house clean. 
We have to fill it with what is right and good, to borrow from the New Testament. The, the text is making it abundantly clear. God's for us and with us, but there's something we have to do. We have a part, and the part is sowing. And it's sometimes sowing when, the, when we have to plow up the fallow ground, when, 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 the, when the sledding is uphill. And so that's why it's said over and over and over. You're in a hard spot or in between. Be strong. Don't be afraid. Do the difficult. Complete the hard work. Now, the truth was, these people had a part to play in God's grand scheme of eschatology. And this would set up the things that would bring in. We, we know one day the Messiah, Jerusalem, would be restored. And then, you know, from the lineage of David, the Messiah would come. And then, you know, kind of unknown, these people, he would die on the cross for us. And dispensation of grace would come. But then what they understood is going to happen one day. The millennial kingdom is going to happen in that eternity. He said, you know, I'm interjecting this. You may never know the millennial kingdom in your lifetime, but you can know better than you have today. Because God's laws of sowing and reaping are, are, are genuine. And you can position yourself, because I'm not moving, says God, to receive an unbelievable blessing. It's not enough just to have a change of heart and even repent. That's the starting point of becoming something other. And that's the hard work we have to give ourselves to. We want that to be enough. The consequences of sin take time to resolve. And uh, we have to be patient when we're working towards what's right. We have to suffer through some difficulty. We have to realize that seeds don't grow in a day into a mature plant. It takes time. And that, well, you know, God's for me, but why is this so hard? Because we're just moving to a place where you can actually reap what you've sown. It's not enough just to decide to turn the page. Sometimes we have to do the hard work of writing the chapter and do the work. And it's amazing when we start working on things that way, maybe even imperceptibly, but day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, the millennial kingdom gets here. <laughs> Your marriage may never be the millennial kingdom, but it can be happy and good. This church will never be perfect, but we can work on it and be happier and better. Your life, you, you, you may have some things that are, just aren't where you want them to be, but if you, you're not afraid, your hands are strong to the work, then I, I'm telling you, God is for us. And really the only thing when God is for us that can be against us is ourselves. So we've got to fix that.